You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Hey, good morning. It's good to be together. My name is Dean. I'm the pastor at City Church. We're going through the book of Acts. We're just going verse by verse. Uh, so if you're new here and you're like, why are they in that random part of the Bible? Uh, well, one, it's important to know that none of the Bible is random, that every word of the Bible is inspired by God and it's by his design there. And we think the best way to understand God and to understand the scriptures is to work through books of the Bible, not exclusively, uh, but as often as, uh, as and on regular occasions. So we started back in January with Acts 1 verse 1, and we're just going all the way through. Uh, so we're in Acts chapter Chapter 9 this week, we're going to be uh, till the end of the chapter, verses 32 through about 43. I'm really grateful for Easter and what the Lord gave us a good Friday and Easter last weekend. Just really thankful uh, for the folks that came, had a chance to hear the good news. And today at Baptism Sunday, what a great way to respond to Easter. Uh, We had several people get baptized after the 8.30 service, uh, which is just a really neat experience. And then the chance to get to do that after this service and after 11.30. Just really thankful what the Lord is doing here and just pray that we will be found faithful and we'll be good stewards of God's blessing upon our church. We know that it's not of us, it's all the Lord. So we tread lightly in terms of just making sure that we are um, hopefully walking in step with the Lord, being found faithful in what he is allowing us to see happen here. Let's pray together, and then we'll jump in. Our Father, we are grateful for your word. We're thankful for the book of Acts. It helps us to see and understand how the church unfolded, about how the first believers responded to the reality of Easter Sunday, the resurrection. And we know the same Holy Spirit that empowered them is still here with us today. Uh, So I ask that we will be people who are convinced of Easter Sunday. And because of that, we want to live our lives for you. We're thankful that you're the God who loves us, that we are are made in your image, that we matter to you. Uh, How amazing to think that the God who created the world is also the God that knows us by name. Uh, So we worship you for that. We are your sons and daughters in Christ. And I ask to keep the enemy out of this place. To be with all the churches in Tallahassee as they gather today, may they all proclaim the good news, the gospel of Jesus. We ask this all in his name. Amen. So before we get into the main text, which will be 36 through 43, uh, we're starting to see miraculous healings happen, and why those are taking place is really to validate the message in the book of Acts. The first believers, they saw Jesus with their own eyes resurrected from the grave. So any doubts they had were put away, because the guy that they knew and followed, they saw him die, so they're like, man, that was really a bummer. How embarrassing. We like sold out to follow this guy, and he died just like anybody else. And then something happened three days later that we celebrated last week and celebrate every Sunday. And that is that he actually rose from the grave. They saw themselves and said, okay, we're in. Like, we're going to follow him. Like, that's definitely the Messiah. He is the one that he claimed to be. It wasn't rocket science for them. It was he claimed to be the Messiah. We believed him. Then he died, so we doubted. Now he's alive. We're all in. We're all in. But everyone didn't get a chance to see him resurrected. And they had heard about Johnny-come-lately, Messiahs regularly. So God was allowing these miracles to take place, some miraculous healings at that time, since the Bible had not been completed yet, to validate the message, to help people see the authority the apostles were speaking with in the name of Jesus Christ. So we see Peter, uh, by God's power, heal someone named Aeneas, and he told him to get up, to make your bed, and immediately he got up, So we see that all in verse 35, who lived in Lydda and Sharon, saw him and turned to the Lord. That was the point. Not that they would see the miracles and just be amazed by the miracles, but they would see the miracles and be amazed by God and give their lives to Christ, the one who was being proclaimed. So we see another story take place here in verse 36, where it introduces someone named Tabitha. In verse 36, it says, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha which is translated Dorcas. 
I think I called people that in middle school, so that was you, I apologize. Dorcas. So she was always doing good works and acts of charity. About, the time, about that time, she became sick and died. Like, literally died. After washing her, which had been customary then, they placed her in a room upstairs. Since Lida was near Joppa, the disciples heard that Peter was there and sent two men to him who urged him, don't delay in coming with us. They had heard the things that were happening, maybe thought that Peter would be able to come and help them out as well. Peter got up and went with them. When he arrived, they led him to the room upstairs. And all the widows approached him, weeping and showing him the robes and clothes that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. He knelt down, prayed, and turning towards the body, said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, saw Peter, and sat up. You might say, I don't believe that. That sounds like some far-fetched kind of, is it it an allegory? Is it a metaphor? You know, is it just, well, last week we said that Jesus rose from the grave. If we can believe that Jesus rose from the grave, this is not that hard to believe. It might be more than that to you. I'm not trying to oversimplify it, but Christians believe a lot more crazy things than this. So welcome aboard. We believe that Jesus was dead and that he was risen to life. So she opened her eyes, saw Peter, and sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her stand up. He called the saints, who were all the believers, and widows, and it specifically mentions widows because apparently in this text, they were the ones in that community that she had the biggest impact on, Tabitha. She served them and ministered to them. And what did he do? He presented her alive. Alive. The miracle, the evidence, the validation. And this became known throughout Joppa, which you think it would. And what happened? The whole point. Many believed in the Lord. So Peter stayed for some time in Joppa with Simon, a leather tanner. What a story. Here with Tabitha, we see an ordinary life. At least it appears to be an ordinary life. She's never mentioned again in the Bible. This is what she gets right here. This little part. About that much. is the only time we see this person, Tabitha. An ordinary life who has spent her time being faithful and serving the widows in her community. But this ordinary life clearly had an extraordinary impact. Maybe you feel like your life is just too ordinary. That it's achieving maybe way too little. But also just maybe you're doing a whole lot more than you think by just random, consistent acts of faithfulness that often go unnoticed for the Lord. Emma Shrivner, who's a pastor's wife in the UK, wrote this. The Tabitha didn't write a best-selling novel. She didn't start a business or land her dream job. I guess maybe she did, but Luke in Acts doesn't see the need to tell us of so. She writes, her life seems ordinary. And we only really know one thing about her besides her glorious coming back to life. She quietly served others. And her acts of kindness were definitely not forgotten by the people in her life. Ordinary lives of faithfulness is oftentimes than not, more oftentimes than not, how God does his work. There's not one life in this room that isn't extraordinary in the eyes of God. 
Why? Because he made you in his image. Because he loved you so much that he sent his only son to die a death that you deserved in your place to make you right with God. See, Tabitha's story only takes up a few sentences in the Bible, but those lines definitely tell us a whole lot. Because in chapter 8, as we've been going through this book, Simon tried to buy the power of the Holy Spirit. If you haven't been here, I'd love for you to catch up online listening to uh, on, whatever, on our podcast, uh, the messages maybe you've missed, going through the book of Acts. But this guy named Simon saw the Holy Spirit at work and saw the power the disciples had and wanted to pay them money to see if he could have some of that too so he could have the acclaim and the notoriety and the followers and the influence and the hype. And what does Peter tell him? May your silver, silver perish with you. In other words, God can't be bought. How dare you even suggest so? And Tabitha here, just a chapter and a half later, is a different example. She is someone who was full of good works and full of acts of charity. There is not an insignificant life in this room. Every single person in this room is significant to God because he made you, because he sent his one and only son to die for you, and because he has called you to be part of his mission. Whatever that's going to look like in your life, in Tabitha we see an ordinary life used in extraordinary ways for God. The second thing we see here is that God uses resurrection stories. Resurrection stories. And every single Christian has one. Now this is an actual literal resurrection that took place here. But every single Christian in this room, when you came to faith in Christ, you experienced a spiritual resurrection. Ephesians 2 said you were dead in your sins. Not, not barely hanging on, not trying your hardest. You were dead in your sins, but then you were made alive in Christ. That the Lord made you alive, like gave you a new spiritual life. You know what that means? Not one person in this room has a boring testimony. Not one person. But how oftentimes if someone shares their testimony, it's like this crazy story. They'll be at some kind of Christian event, and, and I'm thankful for their stories. I think God did a miraculous work in their life. And it's good for us to see that like, there's no one too far from God in terms of that can't be forgiven and can't be saved and can't experience God's love. No one. But the story's always this. It's like, you know, I was strung out and you know, they found me in a field and after Bonnaroo or whatever, you know, and everybody already left. I was the only one there, looked up, saw the sky, thought there was a God. You know, there's, there's always like these crazy stories. When, again, Praise God for those stories, people who were down and out and found Christ and found God's grace and found second chances and found his love. But what I want to say is that person with the extreme story, that person did not need Jesus less than the person who has a kind of straight and narrow story in terms of no drama, not a lot of brokenness, you know, just tried to you know, live right, comes from a stable family, you know, kind of not, a, not a lot of things going on. Like Those people equally, equally, need Jesus Christ. Because both of those people stand before God as folks who need to be forgiven of their sins. And as we talked about last week at the Civic Center, almost every week here, our good deeds can't cancel out our bad deeds. Because God will not let sin go unpunished, but God in his grace punished Jesus instead of us, even though Jesus had never sinned. And the result is, by faith and by God's work, no one has a boring testimony because everyone has been made alive in Christ. So while hers was a literal resurrection, every Christian experiences a spiritual resurrection 
in the same way her story pointed people to the good news of Jesus, our stories should point others to the good news of Jesus Christ. The third thing is this story is not the norm. It is, descript- it is descriptive rather than prescriptive, as in we should not uh, think that the normal act is to see people die at TMH or at HCA and come back to life three days, four days, an hour later. We just, that, that's not normal. But the point of this is to point us to something greater, and that is God's sovereignty over life and death, that he really does know the number of our days. And our future spiritual resurrection, that's what's going to be the norm for all believers. A physical resurrection here on earth is not the norm. Doesn't mean God still can't do it. God's going to do whatever he wants to do. But the spiritual resurrection we should see as the norm. And as I was studying for this sermon, I I, I read that the verb for get up that's used by Luke with the Tabitha story is the same one he uses for Jesus' resurrection. He says, Tabitha, get up. Here's what we see in Luke chapter 9, Jesus predicting his death. He says, it is necessary that the Son of Man suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and scribes, be killed and be raised on the third day. That word raised, the be raised, is the same language in the original manuscript that's used for Tabitha to get up from the bed and begin her life again. Luke 24, verse 7, same author of Acts. Jesus said this after the resurrection, reminding these people that it's necessary that the Son of Man be portrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. The rise, the same word used for Tabitha. So what it's telling us is that Tabitha's story is pointing us to a greater resurrection, and that is the reality of the implications of the resurrection of Jesus Christ for all believers. Because here's what's true. Tabitha was going to still die again. Like, we're not told that she gets on some chariot and is whisked away to heaven forever. She came back to life by the power of God, and then she went on to go live her life problem. I'm trying to read into it, but you can safely assume that she went about her life caring for widows, being faithful to the good news of Jesus Christ that she had received. I'm sure people were still in shock being around her. She probably, you know, was like, that's the lady that came back to life. But if she was living in obscurity before then, my guess is she didn't try to live her life any differently. She would die again. Why? Because all of us, this side of heaven, the last enemy to be defeated is death. Every single person. I'm doing a funeral this afternoon for a 94-year-old woman. Believer. I grew up with her granddaughter. 94 years old. Passed away last week. Why do I tell you that? That's an amazing life, 94 years old. Not many people get to live that long. That's pretty incredible. But guess, I'm not trying to be insensitive, but guess what still happened to her? She still died. She still died. But what we see here in this story is that death doesn't have the final word. Death is supposed to be painful. It's supposed to be painful. It stings, the scriptures tell us but we're also told that ultimately it will lose its sting because it doesn't have the final word. God has the final word. He is sovereign over life and over death, which means we can trust him with our days because he already knows them. 
So rather than that, that making us walk around scared, or like fatalists, a fatalist is somebody who like falls down the stairs and says, thank you, God, that's over, you know, that kind of thing. We can live our lives in freedom knowing that God has this, that he has this. And here's what we see was the posture of the believers at this time. In the book of Hebrews, because everyone didn't experience what Tabitha, most people didn't experience what Tabitha experienced. Almost every believer did not experience what Tabitha experienced. But look at what it points to again, book of Hebrews. Women receive their dead, raised to life again. But other people, as in here comes the norm, they were tortured because of their faith. Someone did not accept release, they might gain a better resurrection. They're not going to deny Jesus for temporary relief here on earth. Others experienced mockings and scourgings, as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. And what does the writer of the Hebrews say? The world was not worthy of them. They were of a different world. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground to keep the message going through the church. But why would they do this? Why would this be their response? Well, they were approved through their faith. So they already knew they were right with God. They already knew because of Jesus' death and resurrection, they had a right standing with the Lord. They were reconciled to him. They had been forgiven. But they did not receive what was promised, as in Jesus had not returned yet. The believers of the Old Testament, some of them had never received the promised land until generations later. But here's what they knew that allowed them to keep going since God had provided something better for us. What is it something better? It's two things. Himself, a relationship with him, and a promised world that is to come where he will return and make all things new. So they would not be made perfect without us as in one day there's gonna be a grand reunion and all believers will be brought together in Christ for all eternity. And the last thing, it says it sets the state, this, this story sets the stage for the gospel to go to the Gentiles. It sets the stage for the Great Commission, where Jesus said to go and make disciples into all the earth, to actually go to the ends of the earth. We see tanners here. At the very end, Peter stayed in some time in Joppa with Simon, a leather tanner. So what's a leather tanner? You might, when you hear leather and tan, you think of like the 60-year-old lady who still goes tanning and her skin looks like leather. That's not this, sorry, that was free. We're considered, did I just say that? Sorry. We're considered unclean. These people were considered, these leather tanners were considered unclean because of their work with dead animals. And in that culture, in that custom, in that law, to associate with anything dead would have been considered unclean. In the same way, Peter, by going into Tabitha's room when she was dead, that would have been considered an unclean act as a Jewish man. They also, the leather tanners, here's how their life went. They worked in places by the sea because of the tools and smell of their trade. Like, don't do this here in town. Like, do it way, like, do it way over by the water, please. So what does Peter do? Patrick Shiner writes, he goes to the symbolic edge of Judaism. And that is a divine foreshadowing of ministry to the Gentiles. 
and opens the door for one of the great, pat- great chapters in Acts chapter 10 we're going to see next week where we see Cornelius and, and Peter and a man named Cornelius have a vision uh, that's going to show us all that now in Christ there is no thing that is unclean. That Jesus is the one who makes things clean. And we said last week or two weeks ago, for us as individuals now we should know and that should give us great confidence that in Christ God never sees us as unclean. Despite our pasts, despite the mistakes we've made, the things we're ashamed of, the do-overs we wish we could have in life, the things that may make us scared to go to church sometimes because we might feel judged, whatever it could be, that God sees us in Christ as people who have been made clean, washed, made new, brought from death to life. So we see the door open now for this good news to go to all the ends of the earth, telling people God's love and this good news. So here's Tabitha. Again, small portion of the Bible, but extremely significant because God was using her to bring blessings to others in the small context she was in. And people may not have noticed at the time, but after she was gone, what do they do? They ran to the disciples and said, here's all the things that she did for us. That doesn't mean that we have to go live these extraordinary lives and feel pressure to do so. What it means is we want to be like Tabitha and be faithful people. Just be faithful people because what we believe to be true about the Lord. We believe to be true about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Out of a fear of God and a love for others, we should be compelled to want to live our lives in a way that everyone else might notice, but that God sees faithfulness in us to proclaim his good news in the settings and the context where he has left us. So it's easy to think, and that's, you know, that's kind of how midlife crises really happen, is you kind of think life is boring and it's insignificant, and do I have anything left anymore? You know, I'm retired, and I used to be a big deal at work, and now I just kind of sit here, or, you know, whatever, whatever it could be. It's easy just to think your life is insignificant. I don't have to be any clearer. No, it's not. It is significant because God wants to use your life in whatever context he has prepared and allows you to be in until the day you die. He wants to use you. It's going to look different for everybody. Like Emma Shrivener said, everyone here is not going to you know, land their dream job. Everyone here is not going to have everything they ever wanted in life. But you know what you can have? You can have life with God. And when you have life with God, it's never insignificant. Ever. Because he knows you and calls you. And he signed you up for his mission, his great commission, until the day you die. Every single believer, every single Christian. So my hope is what comes to mind when you think about God is a God who is for his glory, is a God who loves you in Jesus Christ, and is a God who has signed you up to be part of his mission and part of his ministry to take the gospel to the ends of the earth and make disciples. There's nothing insignificant about that. So I'm thankful for stories of faithfulness like Tabitha. And she probably didn't, wouldn't have had a million people at her funeral, but she definitely would have had those, those widows whose lives she impacted. So you might not think you're having an impact now, but believe me, you are, if you're trying to live your life faithfully for Jesus. That means you're simply showing your kids what it looks like to follow Christ. If that simply means as a grandparent that you're praying for your grandchildren every single day. That means as a college student, you're choosing not to sell out to the things of this world and actually continue to follow Jesus in a place where it's not very easy to. That means at work, you're simply trying to treat people well, do the right thing, treat people with respect, work hard. Your life's significant. That means you are tired. 
but you're part of your local church. You pray, you have relationships, you're connected to people. You're doing significant things. And I think it's a lost thing in our society because social media has made like, these are the things that matter and these are the big deals and everything else is over here. And as fun as we can have with social media and enjoy it and connect with friends and post things and share funny things and all that kind of stuff, nowhere in the history of humanity is how you present your life consider what your life really is. But now we start to believe that, that what I show is what I am, what, what, I, what I display is well, at least what I hope they think I am. And here's what I just want to encourage you with and myself with is what God thinks about you matters much more than anybody else thinks about you. And what does God think of you? In the Bible, he calls you a saint. Not because you act like one, but because he made you one through the work of Jesus on your behalf. You receive the righteousness of Christ. You're declared not guilty of your sins. You're in fellowship with God. He's adopted you into his family. He calls you his sons and daughters. Jesus said he even calls us friend. Don't you want to give your life to that if you don't know Jesus? Don't you want to say, like, Jesus, here's my life. Like, I, I believe now you rose from the grave because the world's promises aren't working. And we're going to see people get baptized in a few minutes that have understood that. I want to declare out loud Jesus over anything else. Jesus over anything else. So again, the mundane is where faithfulness happens. Our culture sees mundane as like the M word, like it's bad. The mundane everyday life is where disciples are made. And God sees it as glorious. So I just want to encourage you to be faithful in the mundane. Because if you're faithful in the mundane, if anything big comes your way, whatever that looks like, you're going to be found faithful there too. But the angels say they rejoice. We're told, Jesus told us in Luke 15, the angels rejoice when one person comes to faith in Christ. One person. So maybe what heaven thinks is a big deal is often what we think is a big deal. So let's be about the business of doing the things that God is excited about. And that is his people responding to his glory, responding to his love, living their lives faithfully empowered by the Spirit, and being a part of his mission in whatever context God puts us in. Let's pray together. A little shorter today, but because of Baptism Sunday, but no one's ever complained of that ever in the history of church, so that's a good thing. So let's, uh, let's stand and let's pray together. Our Father, we are thankful for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that our sins are not punished as they deserve, that Jesus stood in our place. So we gather here this morning to worship the resurrected Jesus Christ. And we're thankful for the truth of Easter that allows us to remember that we're not crazy, that we are following the one who is alive, the one that he actually claimed to be. It's who he is, the Messiah, the Son of God. So I ask that we will be people who are quick to forgive others because you forgive us. But we'll be people who show grace because of how much grace we have been shown. Now, even people disagree with us, they'll say, but you know what, that person treats me well, they respect me, they they love me, Lord. Let that, let that be true of our lives. Let that be true. For those in this room that are hurting, that have had to experience the pains of suffering and of death and of loved ones and just all the things of this world that are broken, Lord, I ask you to be with them in their pain. You often tell us that rather than take it away, that you'll just be with us. And I can't fully grasp what that's like always, but Lord, what a promise that you are with us, that we can cast all our cares on you because you care for us. Or we know that one day death will be no more. It'll be defeated. And as Tabitha rose from her death, one day we will all rise. 
forever with you. But in the meantime, we have a spiritual resurrection where you have made us alive in Christ. And we thank you and worship you for that. Lord, we ask we'll be found faithful. Thank you for Baptism Sunday and what we get to celebrate in just a few minutes. And we believe it all in the name of Jesus. Amen.